Hi, and welcome to the wonderful world of Disney Villains Podcast. I'm your host, Katie, ready to talk about everything Disney. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode. You may have noticed that I did not post an episode in my, we can say, typical pattern of posting episodes, and that is because I found out some really big, really exciting news, and it was enough of a shocker that I did postpone the episode to today. I found out that I am pregnant. Yay, balloons, streamers, party hats, all the fun things, right? So because of this, I am changing when I'm posting episodes. And so enough about me. Now let's go on to today's episode. Today we are talking about women in STEM in Disney. (laughs) Back in the early days of Disney, women in STEM were often represented as villains or witches, mostly witches. Could have something to do with Western culture's witch hunt history, who really knows? Villains like the Evil Queen and Ursula showed audiences a female-identifying character who mixed ingredients and chemicals and cast spells. And that's not to say men in STEM weren't also made to be bad guys back in the day. If you look at Dr. Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll, and his alter ego, Mr. Hyde. I don't know if Disney bought those stories or the ownership of those stories or not, but those were the only ones I can think of at the moment. But this episode is about women in STEM. And if we were to look back, aside from the female villain in STEM, aka witch, Most all other female-identifying characters were a princess, who was a damsel in distress, side character, typically doing domestic chores, and that's it. Uh, Cinderella's evil stepsisters might be an exception, but they are also classified as villains, so don't really know. For me, the earliest female protagonist character in STEM, promoting STEM for females in a positive way, is Gadget, the female mouse inventor from the Chippendale Rescue Rangers TV show back in the late 1980s, early 1990s, if that tells you how old I am. (laughs) Other than Gadget, I can only think of villains in the 1900s, like 1938 when Snow White came out, I think that's right, until 1999. Uh, Unless we look outside Disney and we consider shows like The Magic School Bus and Miss Frizzle then there might be a little bit more there. Early female villains who also happened to be women in STEM focused a lot on appearances, status, and power instead of what I consider to be important things like intelligence, personality, relationship building, respect, and more, right? For these reasons, as a child, I kind of feel like I naturally gravitated towards princesses and away from anything STEM because I never saw women in STEM in a positive light unless I watched Gadget, who's a mouse, or the magic school bus. But I didn't have a magic school bus, and I wasn't a teacher, so I couldn't really relate. And maybe that was me not using my imagination and kind of like trying harder to appreciate STEM, but yeah. I would say since the 1990s, we've had slightly growing representation of women in STEM. Outside of the women in STEM are all evil witches trope, we have characters like Jane from Tarzan, who's an animal researcher, Tinkerbell, the fairy inventor. She's basically like an engineer in her Tinkerbell Tinkerbell franchise, if you watch it. We have Honey Lemon and Gogo, who are engineering students from Big Hero 6, Gabriela Montez from High School Musical, We even have a Disney princess, Princess Shuri, thanks to Black Panther. And some of you may not count Marvel since Disney bought Marvel, but 
I'm literally just taking anything, <laughs> anything I can get at this point. And Marvel has a lot of female STEM side characters. BlogPhDPrincess.com also mentioned some of the well-known and also lesser well-known characters in STEM within the animated and live-action Disney TV shows and films like Flubber, National Treasure, and the Marvel movies. According to TomSky.com, quote, a study by the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media found that girls are more likely to pursue STEM careers when they see portrayals of women as biochemists, software developers, engineers, or statisticians. Oh gosh, <laughs> too many S's for me. It's called the Scully Effect, end quote. Named after the X-Files Dana Scully, a medical doctor who appeared week after week on the TV show. A TV show I did not watch, so I apologize if I messed up her name. The study also said, quote, it's no mystery why two-thirds of real women working in STEM cite her as a role model, end quote. And so why is this important? Why is this something that we should be talking about? Or maybe you hear this quite often, and maybe you're questioning why. Well, in January 2021, a Census Bureau report noted that women make up nearly half of the U.S. workforce, but only 27% of STEM workers as of 2019. Maryville University goes on to say, of the 27% of women in STEM, only 5% are women of color in STEM. Studies like the Scully Effect could and have strengthen and influence the workforce and women's desires and ambitions to work in STEM careers. And of course, it's not just media and representation's responsibility or their representation that helps or introduces people to the career of STEM, criminal justice, literally anything and everything that you ever see in media. But media and representation can play significant factors in what people believe they can or should do versus what they believe they can't or should not do. Hence why we have this podcast. I feel like I say that in every episode. In the past few years, Disney has introduced more women and girl lead characters with interest in STEM, thank God. Films like A Wrinkle in Time, The Nutcracker, the live-action Dumbo and Beauty and the Beast movies, Black Panther, etc. all show female inventors and females who love science. Polygon.com mentions, while this is great, there's also a downside to the movies and characters that were created specifically by Disney and not outside sources like Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, etc. It says, quote, Disney uses book smarts and curiosity as a substitute for female independence in the same way that proficiency in martial arts or a leather jacket once signaled that female characters were, quote, tough and, quote, cool. Their visual signifiers or traits not traditionally considered, quote, girly, but they're also only service level indicators, end quote. They go on to say these movies, quote, default to the same broad thematic arc about not doubting oneself. And yet the lead's interest in science is made to be such a big deal early in each story that the degree to which they ultimately don't factor into the conclusion is jarring, end quote. Polygon.com also mentions that the Disney movies in particular that don't fall short are the ones that were not Disney originals, like Black Panther. Women's Agenda goes on to explain how Disney princess films hinder girls from not only pursuing STEM careers, but also believing they are smart and believing they are capable of more. 
Women's Agenda goes on to discuss the early onset of interest in Disney princesses and the gender stereotypes that follow with movie characters and toys. Quote, this targeted messaging matters. It results in STEM toys being purchased for girls less frequently than they are for boys. Coincidentally, toys that are fun but also contain an educational value are more likely to be bestowed upon boys, seeding interest in STEM and later in life through occupational choices. End quote. Quote, this play divide can mean that there are greater science-related training opportunities for boys in the early years, which was said by Gina Rippon, professor of cognitive neuroimaging at the Aston Brain Center. It's clear that in order for girls to have these same training opportunities to develop a strong science identity and recognize themselves as capable science leaders, they also need to have access to toys and stories that present females as science people in a way that's normal and attractive. Uh, And I don't think I really indicated it, but that entire bit was a quote that was not my words. And like I previously mentioned with the 5%, women of color in STEM are even more underrepresented. 5% out of a total 27%. They face even more discrimination trying to get into the workforce and throughout time have often gone without recognition for their contributions to STEM. Maryville University has an article with examples of women of color in STEM who have made contributions to STEM throughout history. Personally, I only knew about one of the individuals mentioned. Obviously, I have a lot to learn, and I need to educate myself after this episode. And I do have a link in the description in case you want to read about it. Now, the reason why I really wanted to talk about this is because I'm a STEM college advisor. That's my day job. Probably a bit funny, considering I wasn't into STEM growing up. My job is to advise college students who are interested in STEM pathways on the best classes, programs, and resources to be successful in a STEM career. And I also have a Disney podcast. So, on this episode, I thought I'd merge them together. And we have a very special guest, a woman of color in STEM who worked with the Disney company in theme parks to help create the oh-so-popular Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and the Disney Park in California. So here we go. So I want to start at the beginning. How early did you start pursuing STEM and how did you decide on engineering? I feel like for me, I've always kind of been fascinated with structures and Mm not even knowing it, like as a kid, I've always been fascinated with buildings and like how things work, how being put together. But I've also kind of been some sort of creative or artist. As a kid, I wanted to be a cartoonist. You know, I'm a huge I took painting classes. I wanted to be a cartoonist at some point. I told my dad, I was like, I'll even like dub my own cartoons and then from start to finish like I went to art school and things like that so my parents were like really supportive of um my interests and like creative interests which is so bizarre for an Asian family because they're like you have to have like a career path yes yes (laughs) with a strong income yeah with a strong income and so uh, as a kid I actually read a book called Walt Disney Imagineering it released in 96 Mm. And that's when it kind of clicked for me that this Imagineering job was the job that encompassed everything that I was interested in. Yeah. Um, But since I grew up in the Philippines, I thought that was a long shot. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably never going to happen. So the closest thing that I can make my dream job practical was either to be an engineer or an architect. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to be an architect. That's what I'm going to do. 
I love designing things. I love drawing and things like that. So that's what I want to do. And my dad was a structural engineer. Okay. How I knew about, you know, that world. Yeah. Oh, my dad was a structural engineer. My uncles were structural engineers. I had two uncles that were architects. But my dad never like imposed that career on me at all. I think it was just because I saw it a lot that I was like interested in about what they did. You knew it was an option. Um, yeah. Growing up, I've always been really great at solving problems. I had a knack for math. Nice. Math something that I was really good at. And when we moved over here to the States, I also kind of knew architecture wasn't really a sustainable career choice. Then too many options to kind of evolve in the architecture world. Like literally, you could probably count how many architects there are in the world. <laughs> it's not like, you know, a conventional job like nurses or right like that so in demand yeah for me it really meant that I need to find something more practical that I can I know I can land when I end college and so Mm -hmm. I chose structural engineering when I was in high school okay and And, you stuck with um, it yeah I love it like I wish I could explain the kind of bliss that I feel when I solve structural problems Mm. and get creative with it I love it it's a passion of mine. And it's so um, nice that you found it so early where I feel a lot of high school students are like, I have no idea what I want to do. I don't even know what jobs are out there. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it was easy because when I put two and two together and I saw that my dad was making a career out of it, yeah, it was kind of like a no brainer. And then when my dad knew that I wanted to be a structural engineer, he like gave me the necessary things that I needed to do in order to kind of get to where I am so you need to know how to use AutoCAD you need to know how to do this you need to know how to do that it gave me kind of a like a path forward as being confused on like okay what's next I decided this what do I do kind of thing so Mm -hmm. to have him kind of like as a mentor sort of speak yeah totally yeah I would say that and you know something and the reason why I invited you that struck me was that whenever I think of Disney, I don't really think of, I'm going to be an engineer and work with Disney on a project or, you know, a theme park or other, you know, that's not something that you ever really think about. You always think about like, oh, I'm going to be a princess or I'm going to, you know, do like parades and everything. Right. So I'm super interested in how you thought of this idea to combine your love with Disney and actually work with Disney like how did you even think about that how did you even learn about it what was the process like of being contracted with them I didn't really think that I was going to ever work with Disney in college I think it was my fourth year they were hiring interns for their Shanghai theme park oh that was like during the time of construction I think it was like around 2010 2011 yeah when I learned about that I was so excited because I was like okay like this is my chance like I can get on this and so I did the project with two of my classmates and we had a team project together and we actually made it to the top 100 which was (gasps) wow but it all came down to the fact that we were still in our bachelor's we didn't have our master's degrees it all came down to that decision basically Oh, dang. (laughs) Yeah, it's so, it frustrated me a lot because I was like, okay, so now you're going to pick people because they had more school than than we did, but. Yeah. 
It all comes down to timing, I think. But for me, it kind of combined my passion for like math and solving problems as well as, you know, being creative and like having that love for Disney and like having that creative mind kind of meshed together. I thought that was the perfect job for me because I was like, okay, yes, like I am a Disney fanatic. Totally makes sense. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I've always kind of looked at whether or not like Disney was hiring engineers and things like that. So in a job, I'm always kind of like looking to see if Disney was hiring, but it was never like something that I thought I was going to get. So when I was in my job, it was, I think it was like three, four years ago. Mm -hmm. It was a secret project. I didn't know it was Disney. Like I didn't even know that Disney was one of our clients. Oh, that's secret. Yeah. So it was a secret project, but my boss knew that being an Imagineer was some sort of a dream job. We're pretty close. I basically tell him everything. From day one, he knew that I had a YouTube channel. I trusted him in that sense where he knew everything, like even my plans outside of my job. Yeah. And he also knew like sometimes I would go to Disneyland before work and after work because it's like a 15 minute drive from my office oh that sounds so nice yeah it was it was awesome like I wish I I wish my lunches were longer so I could (laughs) time and then come back but I love that he was like very supportive of it he was like okay like in the summers if you need to go on a ride before work I'm cool with it just let me know (gasps) what (laughs) (laughs) well his wife actually worked with Disney okay He's also a Disney fan as well. So we kind of bonded in that sense. What a life. (laughs) So when our company was actually like contracted to do this project, it was a no brainer for him to put me in the project. Yeah. I started out as the design engineer for the project. And then when the project manager left, I was kind of left to take on the role as well. So I was basically point person with the project from my company. Mm -hmm. The process of that was kind of like, you know, Disney's very strict, especially with secret projects like this. So like I had to sign an NDA, I had to go through and then things like that. Even like going to the park, I needed to be vetted, had approval and everything. So then they had to shuttle me to the park itself. Like I can't just like go in and say, hey, like I'm working on this project. So they had protocol. And then as far as like landing the job, our company is kind of, we have a specialty. So our specialty was like seismic bracing, seismic design. And we were pretty huge in the construction industry. So we were basically like the go-to people to do work. So it was kind of like a no-brainer. Yeah. I have a follow-up. When did you actually know that you were working on Disney or working with Disney? I was given like a simple project to do. And then after I submitted the design, they told me what it was. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They were like, okay, so you have to go on this meeting and sign an NDA. And then at the end of me like signing it, it was telling me what it was. And I was like, hmm. Yeah. Are you serious? (laughs) And then when they sent me like the plans, they sent me the presentation and everything. I was like, oh my God, this is what it's going to look like. <laughs> I felt like a little kid in a candy store. Yeah, I bet. I, time. 
Yeah, you gotta know before everybody else. That's so cool. Yeah, exactly. And the worst part of it was I was so frustrated. I couldn't tell anybody. (sighs) The only person that I could really like share this with was my boss. anyone else like I couldn't really tell anybody until after it was done but yeah like I was very very excited because I'm also like a huge Star Wars fan you know to say the least yeah that's an understatement like I grew up watching the original trilogy with my dad Mm. I would dress up in Star Wars costumes yeah I used to make website graphic website designs in high school like that was something that I really loved doing and I created this this layout of Hayden Christensen and his evolution into becoming Darth Vader, like (laughs) huge of an influence Star Wars had on me. And so getting this project, I was like, oh my God, are you serious? Like I like, I was just like in shock. It's like, hold me, I'm going to (laughs) faint. Yeah, totally. I was like, how? Like, how is this even possible? What a life. I'm so jelly. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get to visit? Did you get to see what the final creation looked like? So the final, no, I have not gone to go see it yet because that was when my annual pass expired. And and that's when I decided not to renew. I was like, "Um, I think I'm going to uh, be smart with my budget this year. Mm. I ended up not even seeing it. I definitely want to one of these days. I think it was also because like it was always crowded. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, so especially like the first year that it came out, always crowded. And I just didn't want to deal with the crowds. <laughs> Did you watch like the videos and stuff? When they show like the behind the scenes of like touring the areas and... Yes, yes. Okay. So the last time that I saw it in person was before they added all the paint and like the last minute facade stuff and so mm. the actual park it was just like bare there was yeah and things like basically that. like the backbone without all the details mm-hmm. yeah wow oh my gosh something that is not related to disney that i always like to talk about is women of color in stem mm-hmm. as an educator and so since you are a woman of color in stem hey yeah. i wanted to talk about equal opportunities and i know it's kind of like a dark and vague question but I was just curious if you felt like you had equal opportunities I mean your boss chose you because you love Disney just knowing about like you know what are barriers that you had faced as a woman of color in construction in STEM and if you know your company or if you felt like you had resources to overcome those yeah I feel like yes and no okay (laughs) I feel like definitely like you know the STEM environment perpetuates a lot of toxic masculinity oh yes in the workplace and you know my mom is a physics teacher oh no kidding huge huge stem advocate yeah does a lot of after school programs and encourages her kids that are you know people of color women of color to really pursue stem which is awesome and I love yeah that's so awesome but yes there are so many you know microaggressions that happen in the actual corporate world Mm. are usually never addressed Mm. and somewhat silenced and that was really frustrating for me especially because like I consider myself an activist like I love to speak on things like social and political issues gender equality Mm -hmm. being you know person of color being a woman of color so passionate about that and like I love being able to speak on it on my own platform so the workplace like I feel almost silenced yeah 
I'm not really an executive in a, an executive position that could really like change things for the future of my job. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me personally, I've always kind of been overlooked throughout mm. my whole entire career because I had other interests outside of school or like outside of engineering. I had mm. interests. So I was always singled out in college. I was involved in school outside of just schoolwork. In a sorority, I was in a Filipino club. So a lot of that is a lot of responsibility that I chose to take on outside of just being in school. Yeah. It's always singled out as like the girl who like maybe doesn't know everything. Oh, dang. They always saw me as like someone who didn't know much about engineering or like they kind of have this perception of me being dumb. <laughs> Weird. So, so like, I mean, even with like getting jobs, even though I had a lot of the accolades and I was qualified for the job, yeah, they still had their doubts. Like I remember... So I was actually the first woman engineer that they hired in that company. Oh my gosh. This is like, what, (laughs) five years ago? Oh my gosh. That's pretty crazy. That's so crazy. And so when I heard that, I was like, um, like why? Like, that's so weird to me. And he's like, yeah. And so they were asking me why I decided to hire a woman engineer. And I told them, she was the right person for the job like anything to do with her gender right so I don't know why you guys are questioning me like so crazy yeah and then also like I told you my dad is also a structural engineer and so I'm always kind of seen as oh like you got that job because of your dad there's like that nepotism Mm -hmm. and I'm just like no like I got this because of my own accolades and because I am the right person for the job so on my last job I actually worked with my dad so we were both in the same company we were just in different offices Mm. and I've worked with him twice so the first time I actually asked HR to use my middle name instead of my last name just because I didn't want any kind of yeah with my dad at all in terms of like hey like if I do good it's because of me nothing to do with my dad Mm -hmm. so I've always kind of had that struggle in the workplace to kind of always prove myself yeah even though my work can prove itself exactly yeah so yeah I was I think in my the last two jobs that I was in the people that hired me like my bosses were always super supportive and I think I was just put with the right people to kind of have that equal opportunity like my last job I was a lead engineer for a 500 million dollar project which was awesome dang never thought that they would give me that position at all but they did and I was very grateful for that that's awesome so yeah I think it just depends on like who the person is but yes there are so many microaggressions in the stem community a lot of like immigrants that have their own microaggressions within their culture mm. so it's multi levels of <laughs> i didn't even think about that yeah, yeah wow. so it's like americans it's also like you know different kinds of cultures that mm. you kind of take into account as well dang yeah and so I guess a, a very different change of pace is you are a social media influencer. 
And at least for me, I can't think of anything more different than an engineer and an influencer. So what I guess what made you decide to do this, I would say a giant shift in your lifestyle in the environment that you work in and your income, like, how did you decide on that? So I, I actually started as a beauty influencer back in 2012, 2013. It started off as some sort of creative outlet for me. Like I, I told you growing up, I've always liked being creative mm-hmm. and I've definitely shut that out while I was in school and like while I was in college because I was focusing on my career, obviously. Mm-hmm. There was always some kind of creative aspect that I was missing. And so I used social media as that creative outlet. So I started out as a beauty influencer and I took a step back from that after a few years. I think it was like around 2015, 2016, because I wanted to give my career an actual shot. And that's Mm -hmm. when I was finishing grad school. I was trying to get my construction management degree. That's when I started working full-time as an engineer. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a real shot, see how far I can go with it. But I think it was like 20, end of 2017, I went on a vacation with my family. We went to the Philippines. Mm -hmm. I had never taken a long vacation. It's usually like during Christmas week, that was like the longest. And then Mm -hmm. that would be it. Like I never took any PTO, but this time I like took more than two weeks off. Wow. For me because I like to work. And then I think that was kind of like an eye-opening moment because I saw how shitty or how crappy corporate world was Mm. that so hard and working my butt off, Mm -hmm. like not even getting the most out of what I was like, I wasn't getting the reward. I've worked so hard for two years, all for like three weeks of vacation. That's not enough. Yeah. I've always kind of known myself as like a person that likes to go above and beyond. And I knew that having an engineering job had a ceiling, especially with all the, you know, the microaggressions yep. place and things like that. And so I was like, okay, I need to do something else. And at that time, I didn't really know what that meant, but I've always kind of had a passion to help people. And I knew that I wasn't really helping anybody but myself with the job I had. I mean, yes, like I was making money and I was making six figures and things like that, but I was only supporting myself. I wasn't Mm -hmm. supporting anyone else or even helping someone on a deeper level. And so that's kind of when I started soul searching. (laughs) Mm, Yes. And I thought that, you know, being a social media influencer was the answer. And so I kind of dabbled back into doing Instagram work and trying to pivot my Instagram into more of a lifestyle page to what it is now. Mm -hmm. Just like growing my social media presence. I didn't really know where that was going to go at the time, but I started kind of diversifying and creating other income streams and looking for other ways to make money. And so I learned a lot of being in business or like being an entrepreneur, being a freelancer, and just kind of like building little pots Mm -hmm. so that I'm not just relying on my job. And like the idea was to build all these little pots enough so that I can live off of those instead of 
jobs. So like if I ever wanted to leave, I can leave in peace. Say if I started a family or had kids and things like that, I'd be prepared to do so. But that's not actually what happened. (laughs) So last year I got laid off. It was like during COVID. Before COVID, it was like beginning of March. Mm -hmm. My boss was like, we're kind of slowing down in work and we might put you on CCLOA, which is being laid off. And this was around the time like COVID was starting to happen. Mm -hmm. And I I wasn't laid off, but I was put on part-time because they still needed me. So it was kind of like a wait, like another like wake up call, like, hey, do something about this because it's probably not going to last long. Yeah. And so solutions would be either to find another job or to go full-time with my businesses or like what I was doing. Yeah. And so what I did was I made sure that I was budgeting properly. I was slowly transitioning my expenses and slowly using my side hustle income to pay for those fixed expenses instead of using my engineering income to pay mm. for And so it was actually a really smooth transition for me because it wasn't like a shock where like, okay, you're not going to get any more money from Mm. jobs. So it was kind of like a smooth transition, but I just decided to take it on full time. And it was actually the best decision ever because I absolutely felt like my job was becoming a crutch and kind of a Mm. Because I knew I was comfortable at the time I was, you know, I'm making pretty good money as an influencer and I'm making pretty good money as an engineer. And so I liked that having both and I love to work and I like to get busy. And so I was like, I'm okay with juggling both of them. Yeah. But when I lost one huge income stream, what was I going to do for a while? Like I was kind of trying to talk myself out of going at my influencer job full time. Mm. Because I liked having my engineering job as some sort of backup. But since I didn't have that backup, I was like, you know what? It's probably hindering me from actually tapping into my full-time potential or full potential as a business owner. And so I just, I just did it. And it was kind of a leap of faith. And even my mom says this, she's like, you're like basically walking on water because you don't know what's (laughs) next. And I was like, yeah. That's definitely my life, <laughs> but I could not be more fulfilled. And well, and that, I feel like that's what life teaches you is that the engineer is the more stable, secure income and the influencer is not, but for you, it's the opposite, it seems. <laughs> so like shut down society. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was definitely like a struggle. Like last year, my manager saw me like crying so much because mm. In the beginning of COVID, like a lot of campaigns are actually getting canceled. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do about money? Like, where is that going to come from? And so that's when I started to kind of pivot my entire brand and be like, okay, I can't just rely on brand partnerships anymore. I need to do something about what I'm going to do next. And that's when I kind of try to figure out what is it that my audience needs from me? 
and how can I bridge that gap? And so that's when I started creating digital products and like resources for them because I knew being an influencer started getting huge last year. Like everyone wanted to know how to make money online and being an influencer is one of them. Mm -hmm. Since I've been in the industry for so long and I was already offering help to my friends, why not just do it for everybody. And so that's when I started talking about influencer tips and people loved it and people wanted more out of it. And so that's when I started opening my coaching program, which I never thought to myself I would do because mm-hmm. I told my mom, I was like, I'm never going to be a teacher. This is not, <laughs> she was like, okay, like you have your master's might as well go for your doctorate, be a professor or something. And I'm like, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. And now she's like, oh my God, you're my little teacher. Cool. And you have your own students. And I'm just like, yeah, mom, like this is what I do now. It's very fulfilling because I get to help people who really don't know much about the space because there's nothing on the internet that tells Mm -hmm. you exactly step-by-step how to be an influencer and how to make money online because it's still such a new industry. I mean, I myself, I'm still learning every single day. There's always something new that's coming out, but I just love being able to support other influencers who are trying to make this their full-time career as well. So yeah, never thought I would do that. I was actually against doing that, but now because so many people ask me to do it and I actually love being able to help people in that sense. It, It just made sense. And you're doing exactly what you wanted to do, help people. (laughs) I thought we would play a game before I ask my last question. Game of favorites. And you can choose anything that's related to Disney. It can be a show. It could be Star Wars, anything. All day about this. (laughs) It is a Disney podcast, so we have to talk. (laughs) I wanted to know some of your favorites. I wanted to know, for one, what is your favorite Disney theme park? I want to say California Adventure. Uh, Oh, yes. I think I've grown huge love for California Adventure. One, because you can drink in the park. <laughs> That's a good plus. I don't know. They're, it's just like so unique. I feel like the regular Disneyland park, you kind of know already what's going to be in there. Yeah. But they always kind of try to change it up in California Adventure, which I love. Yes. And the world of the world of color, is it? The water? Yeah, yeah. I love that. that. makes me cry every time I see it. <laughs> Like it's so beautiful. Uh, what is your favorite Disney song? Oh my god, there's so many. There's so many. I don't even know. You could also say soundtrack. Soundtrack. Lion King soundtrack is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The newer one or the original? I think I like the original, but I also liked the new Beyonce songs. Yes. Yes. Okay, we are on the same wavelength. Okay. (laughs) And you already mentioned it, so I knew you were close to the theme parks. I'm assuming you went to the theme parks often. What is your favorite Disney ride and Disney food? Disney ride. I have a lot. Oh, my God. I want to say Space Mountain Mm. is a classic favorite. Yes. Guardians of the Galaxy, but I loved it more when it was Tower of Terror. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's also Haunted Mansion. I love it during Halloween time. And then California Screamin', which is now like the Incredible Booster. Mm-hmm. And they turned it into like the Incredibles. But yeah. 
which is an interesting choice of options. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think those are the exciting ones. Space Mountain and Tower of Terror are like the top two that I would go over and over. Okay. And what's your favorite Disney food? There's a lot too, but... (laughs) So I always have like a routine. So every time I would go, sometimes I would go by myself. I would get churros, mm, lobster nachos. Oh, what? I don't know if you've ever had lobster. I've never had those. They have it at Lamplight Lounge. Okay. California Adventure. It used to be like a secret thing, but now mm. you know about it. But yes, lobster nachos. Is- okay. Every time there's a friend or a family member that's going to Disneyland, I always tell them you have to try this. Dole Whip is a good one too. And clam chowder bread bowls. Where do you get the clam chowder? So um, right by the Pirate's Ring. Okay. And who is your favorite Disney princess? I think the princess that I relate the most to is Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Okay. She's like, you know, very resourceful. Mm-hmm. I love books. I feel like I'm a real life girl. Yeah. You could say she's like an adventure, advent- inventor of sorts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's creative. And who's your favorite Disney sidekick? I want to say Timon and Pumbaa. <laughs> <laughs> They're like hilarious. I'm they like, are oh, hilarious. I'm your friend. They are hilarious and they make it funny even though there's this dramatic battle sequence going on. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> They're like, look at us, dancing hula. Okay. And <laughs> and who is your favorite Disney hero? There's a lot. There's a lot of heroes. I mean, like you mentioned Marvel and I was like, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> how can there's I? There's a lot. <laughs> but I think with Star Wars, Han Solo is like mm-hmm. favorite I love the underdog. I love the people that are, you know, kind of up and coming. Mm-hmm. I like Iron Man. Iron Man is a good one. Black Panther. Yes. My God, like, rest in peace. I know. But love that movie. And I I literally memorized that movie from start to finish. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Root. I think Groot is one of my favorites. Yes. And Jack Sparrow. That's kind of like. Oh, yes. Yeah, very unique. But I know that, you know, Jack Sparrow is like generally selfish, but I loved his character development throughout the series. Yeah, me too. I didn't even think about him. What is your favorite Disney movie? If you had to choose one. Um, Lion King. The original? The original. Yes. I remember as a kid when I watched it for the first time, my my cousin and I decided to get like, not our faces painted, but like we kind of wanted tattoos Mm. on our shoulders. And so we like (laughs) Lion King characters (laughs) tattooed on our shoulders. (laughs) Oh, it was pretty fun. (laughs) Sounds cute though. I mean, there are way worse things. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. And because this is a villain podcast, who is your favorite Disney villain? Hmm. I want to say Ursula. <gasps> yes. Yeah. I love her. I feel like I want to be her friend too. Mm-hmm. She's very <laughs> sassy, but I like it's it. Very sassy. Yeah. <laughs> Just like that energy. I'm like, okay, I'm here for it. <laughs> yes. I love performative villains. Villains who are very theatrical. I, that's my favorite. Yeah. They're so fun. 
for Star Wars, I also liked Ben Solo. Yes. Misunderstood. Yeah. We don't know if he's a villain or a... <laughs> yeah, we have no idea. <laughs> we have no idea. Up until the end, I'm like, what are you really about? Yeah, I was like, whose side are you really on? <laughs> <laughs> Last question was if you had any advice for individuals who want to pursue STEM, who want to work with Disney, or maybe even want to change career paths. And I'm not saying social media influencer because they can just check out your Instagram, your TikTok, and other to see all of the great tips because you post almost daily. So they can do the work. <laughs> they can do yeah. the work and follow you. <laughs> but um, do you have any advice for people who are wanting to pursue STEM, who want to work with Disney, and or who want to maybe change their career? Right. I just want to say in general for all of those, I think being confident and like honing in your craft and also like be a sponge and be teachable because, you know, just because you're smart or you excel in school doesn't mean that you know everything. The Gen Z generation, it's so easy to find answers on Google and they pick things up really quickly. And I think that's so powerful and amazing, but yeah. it can be dangerous in a sense where it can develop a sense of entitlement. Mm, that's a good thought and, yeah and honestly having that kind of entitlement could prevent you from growing as a person yes I um, agree. and so personally like being teachable and being a sponge and actually humbling myself to learn from experts has opened up so many opportunities that I know I can't get on my own mm. it also helped me to you know be versatile and learn the art of pivoting because you know I just didn't know how to do one thing I wasn't just all about engineering I learned how to do everything you know business-wise like how to work with people mm. how to be mentored and things like that yeah and it also kind of like made me a chameleon because now I'm using so many things that I learned in the workplace that I'm now using in business and so yeah it's really important to learn those life skills and like be teachable and like humble yourself just because you have everything doesn't mean that's going to be there forever. You know, for me, my, my life was literally turned upside down. I'm not my fault at all, but right. things like that happen. Yeah. So you do when that happens, how are you going to move forward? Those are my sense. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I think it is very true. You're saying that. And I was just thinking of what have I learned and how have I applied that to different things? And yeah, you can't continue to grow and do other things and have other hobbies even unless you're open to those things. So I think that's great. Mm -hmm. right. And I wanted to thank you for being on the show. I just kind of like sent it as a comment, like, Hey, we should get together and you should be on my podcast. And you're totally like, yes, let's do it right away. And, <laughs> and, and here we are. Oh um, no. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Yeah. Do you have any plugs, any upcoming things that are happening? I know a lot of people really are interested in like learning about social media, learning how to be an influencer. And so I have tips on my Instagram, my TikTok, my blog. I also have like free resources and paid resources that people can look up. I have my influencer starter kit, which kind of talks about like how to monetize through brand partnerships. Mm. But I am launching a course on brand partnerships and it's going to go in depth on everything from start to finish. And I also offer coaching services. I do offer like one-time strategy calls for people who need immediate help. Like, hey, like I just need to strategize on how I move forward and get on a call just like that. 
But yeah, so those are the things that I offer. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's me, Katie, again. I hope you liked this episode and either learned something new or have something new to ponder and question in life. I included links to Naomi's social media pages. Go check them out. If you like the podcast and are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a rating. I truly value feedback and would love any recommendations for future episodes. Do you like episodes with guests? Do you like episodes when I'm alone talking to myself? I would love to know so that I can create content that you want. If there's a topic related to Disney you haven't heard anywhere else and are looking for a deep dive on the topic, please DM the podcast on Instagram at www.ofdisvillains or on the website www.wonderfulworldofdisneyvillains.com. I'll include links to both in the description in case you would like to reach out. And if you're looking for a new podcast to listen to about Disney theme parks, please check out a not-so-brief history of Disney World available on podcast platforms. A not-so-brief history of Disney World takes a deep dive in the development and production of the Disney World theme parks, rides, and more. Each episode is 20 minutes or less, so you get all the juicy details up front. They also divulge hidden secrets about the parks. You won't want to miss it. And of course, you can find me, Katie, on Instagram at D-I-S Villain Scholar. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next time.